How's it going? Welcome, everybody, to Water's Edge. I'm Andy. How's it going? Hello. Hey, Tim. What's up, girl? Good to see you. And uh, one of the leaders here, one of the many shepherds, and we exist as that sweet little kid, I don't know his name, said, we exist to love God and others. That was my son. Very proud moment for a dad. And we are continuing, as that real beautiful lady said, uh, footsteps, rediscovering the ways of Jesus. Uh, the whole thesis of that is that a lot of us understand or have heard the words of Jesus through Scripture, particularly the New Testament, what he's been quoted to say, Sermon Amount, etc. History has seen the works of Jesus, how the thumbprint, the fingerprint of that man has changed the course of history. It's literally split time. But the ways of Jesus are a bit unfamiliar to us. And that's what we're looking at is Jesus' ways, asking this question, how do we walk in Jesus' footsteps together? And there's a framework for this series that's somewhat repeatable, and it helps catch us up. Each series has its own points. If you ever want more information on that, we can send it your way. But the framework is simply this, is that it starts, it's foundational in embracing our identity as children of God while living in our authority, which is God's authority. That's the authority of the Holy Spirit. And then we, we look for people of peace, and we're talking about that principle today. But beyond that, we create an extended family through those people of peace that are surrendered to the will of God. And we're going to look at that uh, next week, uh, the next couple of weeks, actually. And then in that family, we make disciples, learners, who then in turn make disciples. In that family, we establish healthy rhythms. It's not just work, work, work. It's uh, working from a place of rest. And then finally, we do live, as Jesus lived, the cross-carrying life. So it's a fun series. Um, it's exciting for me. And today we're talking about, again, finding people of peace, which um, if you know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard that it's not good for humanity to live alone, for a human to be alone, for, as the scripture says, a man to be alone. He needs a, a companion suitable for him. And if you hear anything about the beginning of Genesis, a lot of people have beef with the first three pages of scripture. A lot of people have beef with it. There's seven-day creation, uh, displaying an orderly God. Uh, but seven days, people question that, understandably. The Imago Day, we like that we are set apart, made in the image of God as uh, man and women. And uh, we like that. But this Adam and Eve, this garden, the snake, the apple, these trees, what is up with that? Exile and then cherubim with flaming swords guarding the garden. Pretty nuts. Which, guarding the garden is like a pretty... Be a pretty wicked band name, by the way. Oh, you were golden the garden. This is our first song, Science in the Trash. No. <laughs> Here's why people, a lot of people have beef because so many strongly suggest that the, those first three, maybe 11 chapters, are, are the purpose of them is a fundamental understanding of how we got here rather than the truer purpose of why we are here. That's the deeper purpose. When we, when we focus so much on uh, creation as how, we miss really the context, the different genres at play, the corresponding Mesopotamia narratives that it's reflecting upon, etc. The why is critically more important when we read that. And besides Jesus' teachings, Genesis 1 through 3 probably give the most profound anthropology there is. It is brilliant. It is brilliant that in the creation narrative, everything is good. Good, good. Everything is good. But when Adam, which is the Hebrew word for human, is alone, that's not good. So you don't, don't miss this. That in a perfect world with God, 
but without others, there's still something off. Have you ever thought about that? That's what it's saying anthropologically, that with God and without sin, there's something still off about us being alone. And I was processing that with a person in peace in my life, Benji, the, the pastor at Light Church. I was like, what do you think about that? He was really helpful as we talked about it. In the mystery, uh, the creation narrative describes that a singular human alone, even in God's presence, in a world without sin, is still missing something, and more accurately, someone. It's a core desire that points to God and because God, God's family, which undergirds the vision of our church, love God, love others, and undergirds the great command. And it's, it's helpful to note that Hebrew, Adam, human, without Eve, which is Hebrew for life, without God is also very off as well. That's very off. Life without God, even in community, is, is too devastating. It's too vulnerable. It's too empty, too dangerous, too deadly, the same as today. And yet, with God and without sin, it's still something's off. So I think the question I've been considering today is, our desire for people in our life, our desire for others. You may be visiting today and checking out the church. There's probably a high desire to meet people and to be known. I mean, that's a very good God-given desire. The question beneath that question is like, is the purpose of the church meant to provide friendships? I think that's a really important question. Even that scripture that Hamilton read, Jesus himself said, I no longer call you servants. What does he call you? Friends, that's a dope scripture. It's so great. I no longer, greater love is no one of this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus befriended anybody and everybody he could. Friendships are necessary in life. Beneath every desire we have, i.e. friends, is a desire for God. And it's fulfilled in God. And because God, it's extended through God's family. So we want deeper relationships and God wants to give that to us. It's, it's one of the byproducts of a church done well. And one could argue, well, no, it's, it's, it's a product of one, a church done well. And I would say that argument, yeah, I agree. Why are you arguing? And I'd be like, I'm not arguing. I'm just trying to tell you what the deal is. Well, I see you, baby. I see you too seeing me. And that's what it's about. You know what I mean? That's my craziness. Sorry. But it's true. The, the issue becomes when the sole aim of the church, or life for that matter, is friendship. That's an issue. And as a parent watching my kids, I have a 5, 7, 9, and 11-year-old, in this process of making friends or establishing new friendships, it's such a wonderful process, and it's also gut-wrenching. It is gut-wrenching. You, you've got failed attempts, clashing personalities, power struggles, tears, ongoing difficulty and, and some subsequent loneliness. It's, a, it's hard to watch. I mean, some seem to be better than that, and that makes me mad too. And I experience those similar tensions in church. I'm, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken. Um, I've been in ministry 17 years after being an engineer for quite a few years, and I've witnessed kind of the ongoing struggles of friendships within the church as well. The in-crowds and the out-crowds, people coming on too strong, a lack of restraint, others' lack of boundaries, uh, minimal courtesy, not uh, slow to listen or slow to understand, personality differences, people trying to read minds, creating narratives, couple that with the general unawareness that life requires as followers of Jesus, this mutual reciprocity, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
recognizing it's not all about you, it's not all about me, but it is all about us and Jesus. It's a hard tension. And there's this other unsteady tension that like, this idea of the golden rule that do unto others as you would have to do them. Some people walk into a room and thinking, you need to do to me as I, as I want. Uh, because of brokenness, because of different reasons. I mean, think about other reasons of brokenness. Un- emotional unhealth, financial hardships, differing backgrounds, life stages, remote romantic entanglements, a continuum of illness. You start to stir that puppy up, you know what I mean? Put that in there, a little salt and pepper. And you either got a spectacular recipe for disaster or God's greatest refining agent there is. People coming together and learning healthy conversations, learning boundaries, how to say yes, how to say no in a way that's helpful, how to disappoint others and then love them afterwards, how to grieve together. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity. Provide opportunities to repent together to forgive and be forgiven, it's a beautiful gift that we sometimes don't want. That's the church. And it's not just people's fault. It's also the church's fault by and large, particularly in the West. We we market these groups that provide like easy on-ramps. We create these um, advertised programs that somehow say the bonding will just come so easily when it doesn't come that easy. I cannot guarantee you that. We have a connection dinner tonight. My hope is that you come and enjoy it, but I don't, I can't guarantee that it'll be the best experience ever, but it's going to be pretty fun. That's my hope. You've been to them. It, but that whole model of marketing friendships is, is what I believe perpetuates the transfer growth that we see in the church, which makes some churches grow really big and other churches close. I think it's probably the greatest growth model in the church right now. I say that to say this, that um, I do love how gritty and caring our church is. I love how we care for one another. I don't observe any cliques. I don't. I don't think I do at all. And we usually would call each other out. I love how welcoming we are to others, that we will embrace one another, and I believe not hold on too tight. Like, that's really helpful. Really helpful. And I... I appreciate that about our community so much. So then I think the question is, what is, what's the goal with friends? What's the goal with that? The church is a great place to make friends. It is. And to become friends with the Lord. And Jesus will call you and I to deeper friendships and really deeper relationships. Friends that serve, that eventually become followers that submit mutually so that all of us can learn what it means to be a family surrendered to the will of God. And we'll talk about that next week, but it all begins with this idea of finding people of peace. So we're trading that term for relationship or friend of friends for people of peace. And my main idea of the thesis today is that when we focus on people of peace, we will discover some amazing friendships along the way. And when we focus, keep our eyes out for people of peace, we're going to find some friendships along the way. The way was a term that denoted the original Jesus-following movement. But I think the bigger question is, who or what are people of peace? People of peace is a twofold definition. A person of peace is someone who welcomes you and listens to you and serves you. It's like, I'll have 10 of those. No, but like, that's what a person of peace is. Actually, I, have, I see about 50 of them. 
It's also someone or someone that God has prepared and placed in your path who is ready to hear the message you're bringing about the kingdom of God and the king. So someone who simply welcomes you, listens to you, and serves you, and I feel like that feels a little self-aggrandizing. We'll get there in a bit, but it's an important principle. And then someone God has prepared in your path to hear the good news of the king. What's inherent in this definition is it doesn't, there's, there's a sense of humility that whoever this person is, uh, it probably won't be a constant elitist. Um, those, God wants to work in those people's lives, but he wants to work in our lives so that they would be free to welcome others and listen and serve, and God's ways are mysterious. But that's, that's the principle we're talking about today is how do we discover people of peace? And, and the principle cited from Luke 9 and 10, which will be a passage in a couple weeks, Jesus says this to his first core disciples and then 72 disciples. When you enter a house, first say, peace this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating, drinking. They welcome you. They're listening to you. Whatever they give you, for the worker deserves their wages. And don't move around from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's a synopsis of the person of peace principle. And that principle is typically seen as a primary means of mission. And for sure, it is. It's a principle used to share good news, but the strategy is deeply relational while being keenly strategic. That's one mentor told me. However, it's not relegated to mission. Uh, the person of peace principle transcends evangelism, sharing good news. It's a way that we are to be with one another. It's also a way that we are able to see rising shepherds or leaders, if you like to use Western language. It's also a way to deduce who are not people of peace. That's, that's a very real reality. In fact, that's what we talked about last week. Jesus went to his hometown, um, and he shared a provocative message about uh, that this Jewish, this Israelite community is meant to open the doors to Gentiles, which is essentially all non-Jews and because of the pain that that community experienced within the larger nation of Israel, they tried to take him to a cliff and seemingly push him off. It was a symbolic act of complete rejection, no matter how it went down. These were not people of peace. So from that point, Jesus walks from Nazareth 20 miles east to the Sea of Galilee. And our question as we discover how Jesus discovers people of peace, is how do we then, in turn, discover people of peace? And we're going to continue, as we have been in our series of Luke. I love Luke, particularly for a series like this, because it's a very orderly account. Uh, most other Gospels are written thematically. This is written pretty historically, narratively. That's a double adverb. I get it. And because the series leans narrative, I'm going to teach through the scriptures. I'm going to go through a scripture stop, exposit a point. Then we'll go through a scripture stop and exposit a point, because I really am enjoying this. So that's how we're going to do it. So with that, we'll just stand for this first section of scripture. If you're physically able, please stand out of respect for God's word. So verse 31 says this. This is after his rejection. We read this last week. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath, and he taught the people. And verses 32 to 37 essentially describe Jesus exercising a 
demon-possessed man on the Sabbath, and, and even more importantly, people recognizing his authority, that his ministry is on the rise. And then we read verse 38. Shall we read it together? You all up for it? Okay, one, two, three. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. That's God's word for us. You may have a seat. So from this, how do we discover people of peace? Well, the first thing, and this should probably soothe our conscience a little bit, is that we ourselves welcome others. We ourselves listen to them, and we ourselves serve them. What's happening in this passage is a completion of actions that Jesus has done in the life of Peter to this point. To this point. Um, we're not going to look at every verse. You see that there's like, this next point is referencing John, it's referencing Luke, um, but there's a map here. Are you frozen? There you go. There's a map here that kind of shows the ministry, and I can, I'm really sorry about the lack of visuals. That's okay. I'm just going to show you that Jesus met Peter before most of us think he met Peter. That he actually met him at the Jordan at his baptism. If you watch The Chosen, it's a great show. It's so dope. But the chronology is a little off when it comes to relationship to Jesus and Peter. They meet at a baptism, uh, really after Jesus' baptism. He meets John, and he meets Andrew, who's a brother of Peter. Peter's like, you got to go meet my boy. Andrew's like, you got to meet my brother, Peter. And then the next day, they meet uh, Philip and Nathaniel, Philip the evangelist. And they're journeying back to uh, essentially Capernaum. Jesus is walking them back, which we saw in Luke 4.13, also in John 2.12. But before they go back to Capernaum, Jesus invites them to a wedding. That's what John's gospel says, is that right after the Jordan, they go to this wedding, which kind of makes sense. Because that wedding would be really awkward if Jesus got rejected and then went to that wedding, right? That wedding was actually the first act. That's probably what incepted in his mind, like, yeah, my mom told me to turn water into wine. I told her my time was not red. She said, you got to do it, son. She's my mom, so I did it. Which is understandable in his humanity. I'm listening to what mama says. It says in the scriptures that in John 2.12, then he walked them back to Capernaum. And that's probably where he went to Nazareth after that. If that's confusing, just know that his time was with Peter. He walked with him. They walked uh, over 100 miles, it is, from Nazareth to the Jordan, not uh, to, the Judean, to the Judean River where he's baptized. It's more to Galilee. So he had time to walk with them, hear their stories. Then he welcomes them to a wedding. Hey, come spend time with my family. And then he walks them home, goes back to Nazareth, is rejected, and then goes back to them. Make sense? So he spent a lot of time with Peter. In this moment where he's now in Peter's home after his rejection from his family, healing his mom, that's him serving Peter again. It's kind of an incredible thing. It also doubles down on how hard the rejection would have been for Jesus. Like, I just did what you wanted me to do, mom, and now you're not defending me in front of everybody. It's an interesting, interesting uh, reality. So all that is helpful context to show that Jesus is a person of peace. And the question is actually answerable because I answered it is why does Jesus head to Capernaum? Because he's, he's been rejected. He's been rejected. I think the follow-up question 
because we like to pause and take a breather and share with one another. Who's someone that you go to when you feel rejected? Uh, just take a moment and share that with somebody. Just a name. All you got to do is take, take a 30 seconds and say, hey, who's someone you go to when you feel rejected? For me, it's obviously Courtney. If there's any moments where Courtney and I have areas where we feel rejected with one another, which happens, real talk, it can happen. I'm sure no one else experienced that, but we have. Then I have my buddy Mark. I have Greg. I have Greg and Carrie. There's other people here, people in my life. But who's somebody in your life that you can go to, your go-to person when you, that you would go to when you feel rejected? Take a moment and share with somebody beside you. So the principle here is pretty clear. To find people of peace, we must become people of peace. That's where you get a little sense of like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, people of peace welcome you, serve you, listen to you, but we, we discover them by welcoming them, serving them, and listening to them. And hopefully the witness is reciprocating. And this principle works like in almost every situation. There are passing people of peace. I was in an Uber trip to the um, airport, and I met a guy, and I just was like, felt like, not looking at my computer, I feel like talking to this person, asking them questions, listening, validating those things that were difficult, because I ask a lot of questions. And uh, eventually, it was reciprocating. Hey, what do you do? I like Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a pastor. And um, yeah, then he just started talking about everything and talking about the life that he had. And he's actually moving east. We talked a lot about the south, east, which is neat. And then I got to pray for him. Briefly, but we prayed together. It was dope. Those are passing people of peace. Uh, the conversation today really involves permanent people of peace. Permanent people of peace. So we, we, we've, we've established the first grounding principle that to find people of peace, we must become people of peace. Those who listen, welcome, and serve. Uh, the next thing is how do we discover people of peace is the next point. But before that, I'm going to read more of the, the narrative. Luke 4, 40 through 41. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus, all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you're the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. Uh, there's a lot in that second point. I'm going to just focus on the first point. That's, that's basically the messianic s- secret. Jesus didn't want all of his identity to be established around the world, because then he would be taken out for trying to usurp authority around him. It's a long story. Probably didn't need to talk about it, but we are, for our conversation today, how do we discover people peace? The second point is we serve the kingdom and then find out who shows up there. We serve the kingdom and see who shows up. With the exception of times that Jesus went on retreat, whether it was his like daily devotion or his weekly withdrawal or his annual abandon, he actually wanted a couple of them. Uh, he was almost always teaching and serving, listening and welcoming uh, but always committed to kingdom efforts, healing, feeding, uh, exercising demonic forces, bringing, dead, uh, bringing life out of the dead. That's what he was about. Even when he was relaxing, he still would serve, which m- must mean that serving is not only what the world needs, but something we want to do. And, and for our conversation, the principle is simply this, that serve the kingdom and you'll find people along the way. You're going to find people along the way. If one comes to church solely to find friends, you may find them. You may find them, and I hope you do. I certainly hope we do. Um, however, the, it typically, when people are doing that solely to find friends, they want to find friends on their own terms, which is a really hard tension 
because not everybody wants to submit to everybody's terms. However, if you come here looking to be part of God's mission of love, you'll likely find a community and really a family. It'll be different than you think, but a lot more beautiful than you can imagine. So then here's a, we had a little public time. Here's a time just of prayerful reflection that for your current friendships, really relationships, how are you in those relationships? How are you all collectively working towards kingdom efforts together? It's a little bit of a double whatever. How are you working collectively towards kingdom efforts together? And from that question, what imitations or even challenges are you sensing from the Holy Spirit? So with your friendships, the people that you like to hang with and share life together with, particularly in this room, but also outside of this room, how are you working towards kingdom efforts together? Because that's where the deep communitas happens, where you experience a bit more than just typical friendships. Think about that for a second. And then the more important question is, what are you sensing from the Lord? The next step will be come to the orphanage trip with us. And if you're not, if you can't come, plan something awesome and let's go. Okay? For the winter. If you can't come, let's plan something else awesome. All right. How do we discover people of peace? Let's read some more of our passage. Luke 4, 42 to 44. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. How do we discover people of peace? We become people of peace. Uh, we serve kingdom efforts and find out who's along the way. But we also, and this can feel like a paradox, which it is, we get away from the crowd to pray. To pray over existing relationships and to pray over more relationships, potential people of peace. The, the real high note is that we get away for, for times in our day and our week and our lives of getting away getting away from God, getting away from others. Jesus had times where he got away. Um, multiple times. And he, in those times, he'd pray for direction. Uh, there's a later time where he gets away to pray over who will be his disciples, the, the, the collective 12. He's praying for new relationships too. You see that as he comes down from this time away in that morning, he's got to move on and meet more people to invite more people in. He's not abandoning, he's just including. So I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to God, to others in towns, uh, to other towns also, because that's why I was sent. This is the first time that word kingdom of God is used in Luke's gospel. It's a big moment. More people are invited into the kingdom of God. And a hidden benefit of getting away is not clinging to others. That's something that's very tempting for me and for all of us. Part of the way is to learn healthy rhythms of community and solitude. Community and solitude. Many understand the need for community. A lot of us resist solitude. Uh, but the, the, the desert mothers and fathers did not think of solitude as being alone, but as being alone with God. To, to sit in the voice that constantly speaks, you are mine, you are my beloved. 
I choose you and re-choose you. You are my child. I love you. The desert mothers and fathers did not think of silence that is in solitude as not speaking, but rather as listening. That's what that space is for. So an ongoing rhythm for all of us is learning the pendulation from being into community with God and then away from community into solitude with God. It is so necessary for our survival as a church and as a people. It implicitly, implicitly creates safe parameters for people to feel safe and seen in community without being suffocated by the community. Henry Nouwen, anybody here of Henry Nouwen? My favorite writer, Dutch Catholic priest. He's passed on uh, a while ago, uh, maybe two, de- two decades ago. He says this, uh, the question is whether we let our aloneness become loneliness or whether we allow it to lead us into solitude. Do we allow our aloneness to, to become loneliness or will we let it lead us into solitude? Loneliness is painful. Solitude is peaceful. Loneliness makes us cling to others in desperation. Solitude allows us to respect others and their uniqueness and begin to create community. So that when we, solitude creates healthy spaces. Praying alone fosters praying for one another, that I can pray over my relationship. Praying in solitude actually teaches us how to pray together. It's an amazing mystery that you are invited to. And for the talkers in the room, and I am like the president, (laughs) silence teaches us not to suck all the air out of the room. Let's read some more of the passage. Luke 5, 1 to 4. Now, this is the the famous miraculous catch scene. And Jesus has been with Peter uh, near the Jordan River. He's invited him to the wedding. He's gone to his house now, healed his mother-in-law. And now here they are in this moment. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge, pour out some liquor right there, just kidding. Uh, Sorry. He saw at the water's edge, it is one of the verses that informs our identity. I love this verse. Uh, Two boats left there by a fisherman who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So, How do we discover people of peace? Our fourth point today is that we invite slash challenge others to follow Jesus in and through their unique vocations. That we we push one another as we listen to our lives and see their lives in real time. What are their vocation is? And vocation just comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means you're calling. I'm called to be a husband. I'm called to be a father, a friend. Somewhere along that, I'm called to be a pastor. Uh, and I need people in my life to push me to follow Jesus more fully in those vacations. And the order is important. I mean, Peter's fishing all night. Anybody fish here? Grant, man? Yeah, here you go, dude. They've caught nothing, and now it's the middle of the daytime. It's not like early morning. It's like getting to be the, 
the morning hours, maybe even noon hours. It's not a great time to fish in the Sea of Galilee, not a great time to fish really at all. And it just seems kind of ludicrous that he would ask him to do that. Um, but after teaching, Peter replies. He's shown himself to be a purpose and peace. He's like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you in this unique vocation of mine. I don't get why a stonemason is telling a fisherman what to do, but I will follow. And I love his honesty. We've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. So when it comes to our relationships, whether friendships, dating, marriages, group dynamics, working, partnerships, the church crew, or those visiting, the greatest gift that you and I can give one another is pushing us lovingly while first hearing our stories, knowing each other, understanding your unique vocations, your calling as, as a friend or as a family member, etc., and then inviting and challenging you to follow Jesus more fully in that context. That is the greatest gift. That's where we experience timelessness and resonance with one another and with God. I, I got to get away on Thursday and Friday to Denver with a couple of friends of mine. Uh, by God's grace and a lot of intention and sometimes annoyance, I've established some friendships where our goal is, yeah, to be friends, but more importantly, sharpen one another, to follow Jesus in our relationships. And I got away with uh, my friends, Eric Lehman, John King, and BJ Van Aken. We have a Vox. Anybody Vox here? It's like an app where like, you just like leave messages. So dope. I love it. We got away and we... Um, we rented a little place for two nights, told jokes, played yard games. It's like they love yard games. Had some really great laughs. We, we ran a 10K around Turquoise Lake in Leadville, Colorado, and then we climbed Mount Elbert, which is a 14er, and it was really hard, really hard. Um, but that wasn't the good stuff. That wasn't the good stuff. The good stuff is when we prayed together. The good stuff is when every meal we'd ask a question like, hey, what's, thing, what's one thing God's asking you to start? What's one thing God's asking you to stop? When we talked about, okay, fellas, how are you seeing your children in this stage? Or what is one difficult aspect in your marriage right now? What's one thing that's going good? And how, what are you going to respond to it? These are the conversations we have. And to be clear, the pastor wasn't initiating those. It wasn't my idea to take communion at the top of the mountain. I did say, let's sing a hymn afterwards. But it wasn't my idea. That's not me. That's these guys. It's a really great group of people. And that, that's the goal of what we do together. It's fun to talk about life and all the ins and outs, but the, the deep stuff happens when we push one another in love, truth and love, always in love, towards making steps with Jesus, which a step with Jesus can also be just sitting down with Jesus, stopping as well, right? You can stop and start. They're both action steps but that we say, hey, what is the God of love, the God who calls you good beloved, up to in your life, and how are you going to partner more fully with this God? That's where the good stuff happens, and it's necessary. So another question I have for us is to pray over, and I think today is more of reflective time than conversation time, because this, this is an invitation for me as well. It would be hard for me to think about this right off the bat if I didn't just go to Colorado. But how are we fulfilling our vocation to invite, challenge others to follow Jesus and their unique vocations? 
How are we fulfilling our call in our relationships? So if Jen's hanging out with Danielle, how is she, they talking together and pushing each other more towards Jesus? I bet it's happening, no doubt. No doubt. Look at them, they're crushing it. <laughs> but how are we doing that? Because it's easy to talk about, I don't know, anything. But that is where the good stuff happens. How do we discover people of peace? Last section of scripture. Luke 5, verses 6 to 11. I'm going to ask us to read together because my voice is a little sore. All right, so you all down with that? Okay. One, two, three. When? So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help. He came and filled both. When Peter saw this, fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. One more, Drew. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore left everything, and followed him. Now, if you have watched The Chosen, and I'm only into the second season, it's hard not to unsee that scene, and it is done brilliantly. The only difference is Peter's had more time with Jesus. They weren't like best buddies, but that wasn't the first time they met. But the way that he falls before Jesus is incredible. I would recommend that show. It's so good. But for our point today, how do we discover people of peace? The principle is this, that we practice reconciliation with others in order for God to work in and through our relationships. There is a huge point here about discipleship, and we're going to tackle that point in a couple weeks. But there's something that undergirds that discipleship that needs to be stated, particularly for our conversation today. Uh, Reconciliation is really undergirding the path towards these discipleship relationships. In this case, Peter finds himself understandably unworthy in his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus, being Jesus, has created the way for for Peter and for all people to be convicted and yet uncondemned, to be corrected but but unashamed, and and ultimately be loved without condition. And, And this is the kind of relationship that paves a way for immediate reconciliation as well as later reconciliations, particularly with Peter. I mean, think about this moment. Think about, if you know anything about the Bible, Peter is he's kind of the every person. He's rash. He does a lot of things that wouldn't really describe the early church leaders well. It, they wouldn't have been in the Gospels unless it was true. Peter is the first to be quick to speak. He's the first to rebuke other people. He's the first really to, to, I don't know if he's the first, but he abandoned Jesus in his greatest time of need. He makes assumptions, mistakes, improper offenses, and then abandons Jesus in the gardens the night that he's betrayed. He renounces Jesus at his, his mock trial, and then he's absent at the cross. This is Peter. And Jesus, being the person of peace that he is, he, he discovers and rediscovers people of peace by pursuing reconciliation. That post-resurrection, Jesus finds Peter at the water's edge again to be reconciled again. 
And there are relationships in your life that need God's reconciliation. We need it time and time again. By finding people peace, it doesn't mean it ain't going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard. And when it comes to difficulties in relationships, friendships, coworkers, family, spouses, we're tempted to write one another off. Oh, well, that wasn't a person of peace in that exact moment. That's not how it works. We still are people of peace. I welcome, I served, I listened. They're not doing so. We continue to find people of peace, even if they don't feel like it in the moment, by becoming a person of peace. How we invest that relationship, I'm not telling you to be a doormat, but there is a general calling of being ambassadors of reconciliation in and through our relationships. The other side of it, there are just some relationships you cannot escape. To find people of peace, we need to be people of peace. And that means pursuing reconciliation, especially with those that we've discerned are worth our investment, even if it doesn't feel like it in that moment. I'm talking about a lot of implications for our relationships. So what is a hard conversation that you may need to have with someone? And by hard, I want to put in parentheses, what is a loving conversation you need to have with someone? What does Jesus desire for you in that relationship? Because with all people, especially peace of people of peace, the goal is to move from simply being friends that serve to followers who mutually submit. And from that, you're going to find family that's surrendered to the will of God. And yes, you're going to have beef with people. We are a herd of beef in this place. But from this passage, we're called to be a school of fish. That was terrible, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, you, you may be annoyed by me. Well, that's the call, to be people of peace. Thank you, though, Tony. I love you, baby. You are a person of peace. So what does Jesus desire for you in your relationships? That's the question. I'm sure there's one or two that's percolating to the surface even right now. You may be sitting next to that person. That's okay. That's exactly where God would want you to be. I have some next steps, um, but I'm going to pray together. And then we'll go through them. Lord, you are the person of peace. Jesus, you welcome us. You listen to us time and time again with great joy. With great joy, you listen to us. And God, you served us through your life. You served us through your death. You served us through rising again. You served us by giving the gift of the Holy Spirit. You serve us by comforting us by calling us your beloved, by reminding us that we have greater dignity than we could ever imagine. And then you walk with us to others to commend them their dignity that you give them, Lord. So help us, Lord, to be people of peace. Help us to welcome others and to listen and to share as you would have a share. But would those words, just as Courtney prayed earlier, be filled with love, with grace and truth. Would our words somehow calibrate your invitation? I invite you into my life. You, that's what you do, Jesus, as well as your challenge. And we are going to go fish for some people. Help us, Jesus. We need your help, risen Lord. And if there's any marriages here that are on the rocks, Lord, I do want to pray for them, that they would rediscover you in one another. If there are people here looking for someone, I want to pray for them that you would provide and that... Yeah, Lord, you see their desire. And you do want to meet them in that, God. I pray for friendships here that feel rocky. 
I feel, pray for people that were serving. I pray for people um, who are being served, Lord, that they would find love and joy along the way in one another. God, do your work through Water's Edge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some next steps for you and I is to consider who is a possible pre-Christian person of peace in your life. This is a primary strategy. And just to tell that person next to you, like just actually do it right now, be great. Hamilton's gonna get set up. Tell somebody next to you, who is somebody in your life that seems to be show signs of listening, welcome, and serving? You may not know where they're at spiritually, but you're seeing something. You know God's doing something. Who could be that? So I'm gonna ask you to do it right now. Take 30 seconds. 20 more seconds, 20 more seconds. Uh, it could be anybody, but non-Christian, pre-Christian. Oh, yeah, that's certainly that. I have more seconds. So, yeah, continue to pray over that. Another thing to pray over is joining us in November for the orphanage trip. We have other great opportunities, other ways to get involved. If you can't make it, plan something awesome, and let's join and then finally, as uh, Hamilton mentioned, support the movement. There is an announcement coming, but we're going to worship God in one more song, all right? Okay.